The first scripture reading is taken from 1st John chapter 4 verses 7 to 11. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever loves God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought love one another. This is the word of the Lord. The second scripture reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 to 13. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflections as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome to all of those who may be joining us on Zoom today. We thank you for making that effort as well. This morning, as we begin, I'd like to just uh, stop for a word of prayer and then continue. Father, thank you again for your word and that it is living. It contains truth. It reveals you. And most of all, Lord, you use it to speak to our hearts and our soul, to lead us into a relationship with yourself. And this morning, Lord, you have given us these verses about love. And to understand love, we need to begin to think about you. And so I ask now that your spirit come and that your spirit speak to our minds, to our hearts, and to our deepest person. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I would also like to just mention that next week we have the special... <clears throat> excuse me, combined service 
This service and the evening worship service will be combined uh, just as a special event at 3 p.m. in the afternoon, which is daylight savings time, 3 p.m. So just in case, I know the Swiss never would ever come late on daylight savings time Sunday. And I only say that because where I lived previously, sometimes that happened. But I do think this will be a unique happening. And I would encourage you, if all possible, in your schedule to participate. I think you will enjoy it. And I think God will use it in all of our lives. This morning, I would like to continue with this short sermon series from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And of course, 1 Corinthians 13 is one of the best or most well-known chapters in all of the Bible because it is written about love. And it's only, I think, as one begins to look into it that we begin to find that the way he describes what love is and how needful we are then to have God at work in our hearts and lives to accomplish or to see this love move or flow out from us to, to others, then it, the depth of it really comes true. Now, in the first sermon, we looked at how chapter 13 provides a bridge between chapter 12, which discusses the gifts and the special things that God puts in our life that we would be able to, it says, to serve, to minister, to live, and to function within the body of Christ. And yet in that church in Corinth, they seemed to disagree with one another, had some discussions that seemed to be strong, and maybe even some divisions. So he uses that illustration of the human body in saying that we need the eyes, we need the ears, we need every part of our body. And no human body, no eye would say to the ear, I don't need you, or try to distance itself. And then at the end he says, and I will show you a more excellent way at the last verse of chapter 12, picking that up in chapter 14, saying the way is love. And that whole chapter provides then the insight that we need to understand to live, to work together as God functions in the center and middle of us all. Now, last week then we looked at also verses 4, 5, and 6, where, and 7, where he then describes what love is and what love is not. He writes out for us what love does and what love does not do. That clarification, that helpfulness that we particularly, I think, just as they in the early centuries, we too in 2023 need to understand the distinction between what is love, but also what it is not. And I do believe only through God functioning, living and working within us, do we begin to comprehend and see that. And particularly in a world which is calling for the distinction of love and, and holy or what is right and what is not, where sometimes we, we struggle between the truth and love. And of course in that verse he says, love 
always rejoices with truth. They're inseparable. And yet they're done in a manner where we can love the one, the sinner, and yet not affirm the sin in a godly way, in a manner where Christ would do or how he would do with us. Now, today, I want us to look at these last verses in this chapter. And it begins with this incredible truth statement, love never fails. Isn't that an amazing truth? Sometimes I get deeply moved when I read something where one of my friends has lost a family member. And you know what they'll often write? I will remember you in my heart forever. This concept that love doesn't stop. But if we're thinking about love in this way, I think as Paul is writing about love, all of a sudden he begins to move us to almost another level. Because this is an aspect which he's going to write to us and give us contrast about. Now, as I was talking about today's sermon with my dear wife, she shared a verse which was very helpful to me, one that she said was challenging. So here's the part of the sermon from Lois. I tell you, you got to marry a good one. if you understand what I mean. And here's what she says. It's, it's a very interesting part, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and the verse we want to look at is verse 18. But in the lead up to that, what he is saying is, therefore we do not lose heart, even though outwardly it is difficult and we're wasting away, but in our sin side we are being renewed every day. Then listen how. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen temporary is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. How do we live today in a manner where Christianity is something real? It's not just a phrase. It's not just something that we cognitively sent to, but it has actually changed our lives and our person that we experience God's love and the power of God's love working in us, but also we're able to love those others around us in a manner where they know God is real. And what he's saying, Paul says here, and also what we've just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he talks about this eternal part because he's going to use this Con, uh, comparison. He says love never fails, but then listen to what he says about these other special things that God does. He says, but where there are prophecies, they cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. And he's making a contrast. And what he's going to do, he's going to lead us through these verses, showing us different concepts, but again and again making a contrast. And the very first thing he's going to say is, Love is always, it has no end. It's eternal. And this other, no matter how good it is, will pass away, will cease, will come to an end. 
And first in our mind as we begin to grapple with the idea of love and that God is love and his love is living in us by his Holy Spirit as he lives within us. How then does this work? First thing he says is to recognize there are some things that last forever and there are others that do not. And then he reads or he continues on in the next two verses, verses 9 and 10. Look what he writes. He says, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the completeness comes, what is in part will disappear. So do you remember, see the word that's repeated again and again three times? In part. In part. In part. In direct contrast with the completeness. In other words, what we know about God what we've experienced at this point, it's only part. Because when we come into the very presence of God, oh, he's so much more. It's like someone who has not known God and for the first time they have God speaking to them. They never realized God was so personal. They never understood God loved them. I can still remember as a teenager going to church one evening, unscheduled, undesired by me. I wanted to go to the drama that the youth were having. I had no intent of going to the Sunday evening service. But the people who took me to the drama stayed for the service, walked 10 kilometers home, or stay. I stayed. Sovereignty of God. Because that evening, for the first time in my whole life, I experience God speaking to me and asking me to make him the Lord of my life. You see, he says we are, we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the completeness comes, that which is in part will disappear. And the truth here is the principle is that we, we have this bit that we know we can know that we are saved. We can know that we are forgiven. But when we walk with God, eternity is so much more. And it's kind of like, I think, have you ever stayed in a place where you haven't been before and you need to get up in the middle of the night? I have banged my head on the wall so many times that is not from that, but I have done that many times, that I now carry with me a little torch or flashlight. But you know, this, I think the concept which he's saying here, and you know, a torch or a flashlight is really important in the dark. But when the sun comes up, all of a sudden you realize that that, although it's light, is nothing in contrast to the real light. And I think here he's saying what we have now, what we've experienced in God is part. It's like the torch in our hand. We know, we see. But then, when he comes, the greatness of God will so surpass all that we've ever thought. And so he says, now, love is eternal. Other things are not. He says, we have a part but there's coming a completeness. And then he goes on in the next verses, 
verses 11 and 12, and he gives us three illustrations or examples of, of how this changes in our life, how we have a part and we are going towards the completeness. And look at what he says. The first is something that each and every one of us experience. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away, put the ways of childhood behind me. In this, he's saying, if we know we have a part and there's more coming, then the reality at this point is there have been experiences in life where he knows when I was a child, I thought, I acted, I reasoned like one. He identifies where and who he is, but he knows that he is growing to adulthood. You know, sometimes it's very interesting. I don't know if you've ever had when your children are very young, they come running in and they've just gone to school for the first days. And they come home and said, oh, mom, dad, I know who I'm going to marry. Just met him or her. And you think, yeah, it's six, that's interesting. But when they're 30, they see it differently. But I think what he's saying here, if we are also children in our faith, in our experience of the love of God, and we are growing, we are progressing to that point where we'll be spiritually adult or mature, there is a process where this, the way we function, the way we think, the way we reason, will change as God changes us inside. And we will come to that place where we reason, we think, as an adult in Christ. But I want us to think just for a moment of that phrase that he uses. When I became a man or an adult, I put the ways of childhood behind me. In this process, remember, there are eternal and there are things that are not eternal. And I could just say to you right now, if you do not have the eternal in your life, we have not gathered the most important things. The rest is going to pass. The eternal stays. But he says at the moment, as we are believers, we have part. And the completeness is coming. And then he says here, there is this process where as a child I did this and I thought this way and I reasoned this way. And then as I matured, these things I put aside. Let me ask each one of us, where are you in your Christian walk? If you had to identify yourself in the category of child or adult, honestly, I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but within your own heart, mind, and soul, where would you put yourself? Is one's life characterized by those things that, you know, as a child you do? Or those things that, as we're going through this process, we think, you know, that's probably not right. And later I'm going to fix it. Or later I'll have God do that. Or later I'll, as I get old, <laughs> well, I get as old as that preacher up there, I'll certainly get my life in order. Who knows how many more days he has. But you see, let me just tell you a little story. 
But before I do that, let me ask you the question. Is there anything in your life that came with you in that early season of Christianity or belief? Or if you've not even come to belief yet, where you haven't experienced God forgiving and God putting his spirit into your heart and soul where the spirit of God cries out, Abba, Father, and you know you belong to God where he's made faith real and alive. Or maybe you've experienced that, but there have been things that you know need to be put away. Let me tell you a story, a true story. A few years ago, my wife and I and our children, they were younger yet, I remember our son was quite young. We visited a friend in Germany who had the same hobby as I, and so we had a great time talking together. And his wife had prepared this absolutely lovely torta. And we had coffee and cake. And then they had two adult sons. And the two sons came in and very respectfully greeted us and shook our hands, of course. And then the mother turned to them and said, Hey, sons. See this boy? It's time. Kind of a mystery to me what he said. And so the boys looked at each other, adult boys. They left the room. And about five minutes later, they came in and they had this, if I remember correctly, quite a large bag of very special toys. You see, mom and the boys, as they reached adulthood, Mom said, what are you going to do with those toys from your childhood? Now, all of us keep some precious memories from our childhood. I have a couple of things that have absolutely no worth. They only mean something to me. But in this case, they had already kept those special pieces out. But they had all of this that was kind of cluttering their room. What did they do with it? And they had told their mother... When a young boy comes, when the right one is there, we will give to him those toys. And the mother had said, here's the boy, it's time. Paul said, and has written here, when I became mature, an adult in Christ, I put aside, I put away the ways of childhood. And as that mother reminded her sons, it's time. If you've ever struggled or wrestled with God about putting things aside, may I just this morning say to you, and you may hear the Spirit of God saying to you, it's time. This needs to happen. And so he says to them, there's this process And part of that process as we grow in our faith is we put aside those things from the ways of childhood. Then he goes on into chapter, excuse me, verse 12, the second part of this process. He mentions, for we see only a reflection as in a mirror, and we shall see face to face. And you'll find in verse 12, he uses these two words to to build a comparison. He says, now we see, and in old English it's like dimly. And really, if you look in the original, here we have the right word translated as mirror, but in that time and age, 
They didn't have a beautiful glass mirror that you could look at and everything reflected. They had polished pieces of metal. And that would reflect an image, but not exact. And so that's what he's saying. Now we see that way. But there's coming a time when we will see absolutely as if we were standing face to face. Spiritually, we see. But at this moment, now, we don't understand everything. We do enough to follow. But he says there's coming a day when they will see face to face. Isn't that a cool idea? I sometimes get a little bit nervous thinking how real and true it is. That what we know now is good, but then we will see face to face. And then he goes again and adds another now and then in verse 12. He says, now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I am known, even as he knows himself, suddenly he will be with God and find out that God knows so much more about him than he ever thought. It can explain to us all those questions on our heart. And yet, reveal to us the many times when he stepped into our life when we didn't even know and understand the greatness of God. So this process, there's eternal, and there's that's not, when you start thinking about love. There are those part coming into the completeness, and then there is the now and the then, ever moving us to understand these things. And then verse 13. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. These are things that also do not end. Now if you look faith in almost every encyclopedia or dictionary, particularly theological dictionaries. I think Burkholz in his theology, Dr. Systematic Theology, he uses the words there. I think I've written them down. Let me get them for you. It is a divine response wrought in man by God. In other words, when we have true faith, it isn't something that we just conjure up in our mind and think, I believe, I think, I believe. Yes, now I believe. No, no. It is a work of God in us. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul writes, he says, We are saved by grace through faith, and that is not any man's works, lest we boast, but it is the gift of God. God working in us. Is in this faith, then that remains. And then he goes on and says, hope. And of course, hope comes from that incredible truth that when faith is real and one has experienced the reality of God and we begin to think about love and God is love and it's not that we have loved him but that he has loved us and that becomes true. What hope that gives. As Jesus said, if you believe in God, believe also in me. Don't be concerned. Don't let your hearts be troubled. In my Father's house 
are many dwelling places. And think of the promise. And if I go, which he did, I will come and I will take you to be with me forever. It's an amazing truth. Faith, hope, but the greatest of these, he says, is love. God is love, and the power of God's love working in us is so incredible. Now, what do we do with all this? Well, we allow God to work and live in our hearts. Maybe just ask, at what level of love? What is the level of love functioning for you? And I think I take great hope with this because he's saying the greatest thing we can do is begin to consider love. And if we consider love, we have to begin thinking about God. And as I was thinking a few days ago about this and this, how do we ever end this, my mind was taken back to that prayer of Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. Remember, I think I had two sermons on it when we first arrived in Zurich. Listen to what Paul says. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith, that which never ends, in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, those two utter characteristics of true believing is faith that is a work of God and the expression of the love of God working its way out in our lives to others. And then listen to what he prays for. He says, I pray, asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, our glorious Father, and then he says that he would give each of us a spirit of wisdom that we would know that God would reveal to us what is right. God would reveal to us the truth. We need wisdom. But then more than that, he says, and a spirit of revelation. It takes not just our own understanding and our own wisdom and God showing us that, but God himself speaking to us, revealing himself to us. And then he goes on and he says, and may the eyes of your heart be open, the very depth of who we are. May God open that, that we understand more and more about him and then he prays for three things. He prays, may God show us the hope of his calling. Now abide faith, hope, love. This hope of God loves us. God has called us. God has worked in us. And then he says, not only may God reveal to you that hope, but may God reveal to you that you see the incredible riches of the glorious inheritance among God's children. In other words, what it means to be truly a son or daughter of God. And then finally, he says, and may you know the power of God at work in us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. If we are going to consider love, we must look at God. As we look at God, we will understand that some things are eternal and others are not. As we understand more about God, we understand we have a part, but there is a whole coming. And as we walk with God, we understand that as I was a child, I acted like a child. There came a day when I put that away. 
There's a day when I understood and that now I see more. There's a day when I did this, but now I know it is coming. And my prayer for each one of us here today is that we experience this truth, this love of God. And you see, Paul prayed for us. And I would challenge each one of you to take this prayer of Paul and just put names in it. I think I mentioned when I preached on it before, if you have no names that you think need to know the hope of his calling, the riches of the inheritance, and the power of God, you spell my name, D-E-N-N-I-S. I'd be thrilled if every one of you prayed that for me daily. Because then we will experience the true love of God. Love abides. God bless us. Father, thank you again this morning for yourself and for your being here with us. Thank you for the truth of your word that love never fails. It never ends. Thank you also that as we study your word, it tells us that you, God, are love. And as it describes the very essence of love, it says it's not that we love you, but that you have loved us. And in his expression of that incredible love, you have sent your son to be the sacrifice for us, to take our place. And Lord, we understand that a bit, but we don't know everything. We know that when he comes, that will be an absolute, special, glorious time. And I pray for each one of us who are here that we would experience your blessing and the love of God, the power of it working in our lives. If there's anyone here with us, Lord, among us today that doesn't or has not as of yet experienced the reality of God in their lives, may you also, at this moment, speak to them very clearly. We thank you. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.